and all that's going on over there. Uh, just to throw in kind of a special request, Pastor Rick Vi, if you would remember him. Uh, Rick is the one that I went to Bolivia with this last summer. Uh, he is flying back today from Nicaragua, where they've been holding a crusade. And then a week from Monday, he'll be flying to Moldova uh, to work with the Ukrainian refugees uh, as they're ministering through the Baptist Union there. So I would covet your prayers for Pastor Rick. He wanted me to go, but it was just too short a notice for me to be able to get off work and get there. And not sure my wife would have let me go to Moldova anyway uh, with all that's going on there. But certainly pray for Pastor Rick and the team as they're going there and ministering to all the different people that have been displaced and and the fear, obviously, the anxiety in Moldova, not sure really what's going on with this whole Russian invasion and where the ultimate goal is. And really, as we've thought about this whole thing, and I know it's been in the news everywhere you turn, that's what they've talked about. But anytime you see something like this going on, the obvious questions come, and we've been hearing them as they've been posed on the different media sources what is the plan for this operation? What is the power for this operation? That is, can they really accomplish the plan that they have in place? And some people are beginning to question, and hopefully the plan will fail and the power will be found to be insufficient. But what is the power? What is the parameter uh, for this operation? How far will it go? Is this the end of it when we get through Ukraine, or is it going to expand to further territories? And then what is the period for this operation? How long is this thing going to actually last? Is it going to last for a month? Is it going to last for six months? Is it going to last for a year? What is the period? Those are the important questions that anytime there's strategy being laid out for a military operation, what is the plan? What is the power? What is the parameter, and what is the period of time? Well, this morning, I want us to go back over 2,000 years ago as our commander-in-chief launched a new operation. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in verse 6. Well, really, we'll go back up to verse 4 and begin reading there in Acts chapter 1. And it says, And while staying with them, that is Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him again, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, and I kind of picture this, 
you know, jaws dropped. While they were gazing, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The disciples were focused on when Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. That's why they were asking, because for the Jews, that was the most important question. When would the kingdom be set up? The kingdom they knew would be an everlasting kingdom. It would be an extension of the Davidic kingdom. And they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And in their minds, when the Messiah arrived the first time, that was when he was going to actually set up their kingdom. And so they're assuming at this very moment that it's it's very soon around the corner. And so they asked Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? But instead of announcing that he's restoring the kingdom or beginning the kingdom, Jesus instead announces Operation Witness. Operation Witness. And I want us this morning to think about Operation Witness using those four questions that I alluded to just a few moments ago to understand what Jesus was really telling us when he said that. Notice, first of all, the plan for Operation Witness. The plan for Operation Witness. What was this plan? I mean, I know the strategists in Russia were sitting down going, okay, what are we going to do? What is the plan? How are we going to do it? So what was the plan for Operation Witness? Well, it's found right there in verse 8. You will be my, say it, witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You mean that's it? You will be my witness. That's the plan. You will be my witnesses. That was Jesus' whole plan as he stood there on the Mount of Olives, getting ready to go up into heavens. My plan that I'm announcing to you, the plan for Operation Witness, is you will be my witnesses. Now, the interesting thing about that word witness, we actually get our word martyr from it. And certainly those in Ukraine and those in other countries in the Middle East, they understand what it means to be a martyr. But, but what this word really means for us, it refers to someone who has the knowledge or information about something or someone that can give that information to others or bring it to light. It's someone who has seen something and can tell others what they experienced. I can't tell or experience, because uh, I haven't experienced what the Ukrainians are, but I can tell you other things. So a witness is someone that has firsthand knowledge. It's someone who just tells what they have seen or they have experienced. And that's what Jesus says his plan is. Notice he's in saying there, you will be my defense attorneys. He didn't say you will be my salesperson. He didn't say, you will be my prosecutor, or you will be my enforcer, and use the sword to enforce my gospel. But what he did say is, you will be my what? Witnesses. Say that word. Boy, y'all don't sound very confident. Say that word. Witnesses. Witnesses. And many times, that's really the way we feel when we say that word. We say it kind of timidly. You will be my witnesses. 
Jesus announces his plan for Operation Witnesses and is simply this, I want you to tell other people what you have witnessed. And, and what are the two things that we are witnessing? There's a lot of things we could talk about this morning, and we could make this thing really convoluted and go theologically deep, but that's not my intention this morning. There's really two things that are on the screen there. One, first and foremost, we are witnesses of the life-saving Christ. We are witnesses of the life-saving Christ, that Jesus Christ is the one who saves. Acts chapter 4. Turn just a few chapters over and see what it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, and there is salvation in a few others. Is that what your says? Okay, maybe yours does. And there is salvation in a few others. Is that what your says? No. It says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, the message of the gospel is that there's only one way to God, amen? And it's through Jesus Christ. There, there is no other message. There's no other way to, to get to God. In other words, we're, we're not competing with truth. Did you hear what I said? We're not competing with truth. We're not competing with good or better or best or, be, or better. We're, we're not competing with options. You know, whichever option seems to suit your fancy or that you feel most comfortable about. We're talking about truth versus false. And, and Jesus says, we are to be witnesses of the life-saving message that Jesus saves. But then we're also to be witnesses of the life-changing Christ, of the life-changing Christ. What those disciples did, and, and remember when, when those guys were starting out in the early church, they didn't have the New Testament, right? Right? Man, hey, could you go get some coffee? These folks are not awake out here this morning. We need to go get some caffeine. Come on, folks. Yeah, they, they didn't have the New Testament. They, they didn't have the Romans road. They didn't have the circle plan of evangelism. They didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have the bridge. They didn't have uh, share Jesus without fear and all the tools that we have today to be able to share our faith. They didn't have all of that. But what they did have was their lives that had been changed. Their lives had been transformed, and because their lives had been transformed and they knew that the power of Jesus to change lives, they simply went out and told what Jesus had done in their lives. We call that a personal testimony. And every single one of us that have experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ at some point or time, we all have a personal testimony. Now, that personal testimony may be very dynamic, if you want to use those words, because some of you were saved from some very sordid backgrounds. 
And so you can share this dynamic testimony of how you were lifted from drugs or from alcohol or prostitution or whatever it may be. And and it sounds all glorious, but I want to tell you something. It's just as dynamic when you tell the story of how Jesus kept you from those things to bring him, bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't ever be embarrassed. Say, well, I was just a good little kid. No, you weren't. You were a sinner. You just hadn't gotten to that bad point. I used to tell people all the time, I was a drug addict when I was growing up. I hit hard on those bare baby aspirins. <laughs> and, and I could say, well, my testimony's not very... No! My testimony is that Jesus kept me and protected me. And that's just as valid as Jesus lifted somebody out of a horrible experience in their lives. But all of us have a personal testimony. It's about sharing our lives as they were before Christ or without Christ. And then how we found Christ and then what has changed in our lives. You can read Acts chapter 22 and you'll see Paul sharing his own particular story. It it really is no more complicated than that. It really is sharing Jesus changed my life this is what I was before, this is what happened, and this is what I am now, and it's all because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid in full the penalty for my sin, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. How long did that take for me to say that? That is what we're to be witnesses of, amen? Amen. So we need to ask, though, because It is being asked right now as we watch this thing unfold in Ukraine. Well, what if the thing goes sideways? What is plan B? I was talking with my friend Rick, and I was saying to Rick, be sure you have an exit strategy because we know Moldova is on his his scope, and I don't want you to be in there when he actually goes and invades. You need to have a plan B. There was a conversation one time that was held in heaven with Jesus, and And the angels were asking Jesus, he said, well, what is your plan for the earth? And he said, it will be that my people will be my witnesses. And they said, well, what if they fail to be your witnesses? What is plan B? And Jesus said, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. There's no exit strategy. There's no alternative strategy. It says, you will be my witnesses. Now, before we move on, I want you to focus in on one word that we haven't really honed in on, and it's the word you. Did you see that in the text? Circle it. Underline it. You will be my witnesses. Now, Jesus could have easily said, the apostles will be my witnesses. Now, if he'd have done that, it would have made it real easy for you and I because then we could say, oh, that was their job. Or if he said, the preacher will be the witness. Or the evangelist will be the witness. Or the early church will be the witness. But he says you, and when he uses the word you, he's talking to those apostles to all those that would come to faith in Jesus Christ under them, to all those that would come to faith in Jesus Christ under them, and this thing just cascades until it arrives here at First Baptist Church Groveport this morning. Amen? Amen. 
Every believer is a witness. That is, we all have skin in the game. Amen? You know, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, it's very easy for our Putin sitting in the, the uh, uh, Red Square, and I've been there. I, I've seen that building. It's a beautiful building. It's easy for him to sit there and conduct a war and to declare a war. But imagine if he had to put on tactical gear and go to the front lines. I dare say there wouldn't be a war today. Jesus says, I want you to have skin in this game. I want you to be on the front line. I don't want you to pay the preacher to be your witness, send the missionaries to be your witness, give your monies to be a witness. I want you to be my witnesses. That's the plan. But look now, second of all, at the power for Operation Witness. It's kind of ad nauseum as we listen to the media again going over, does Russia really have the power? Are their equipment, is it up to date? Is it able to do what they really need to do? A leader has to have a plan, but he also then has to have the power or the ability to get the job done. We'll look at our text again and, and see, did, did your text read, but you guys are really powerful, so you will be my witnesses. Is that what your says? No. But you guys are really educated, so you will be my witnesses. Anybody got that in your Bible? So you guys are really dynamic speakers, so you will be my witnesses. In your text? But you guys are really special, so you'll be my witnesses. But you guys are really resourceful, so you will be my witnesses. But you guys are really gifted, so you will be my witnesses. Is that what your text says? No. What does it say? Look at it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, the key to success in this operation, my friends, lies not with us, but with the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I just said? The success of this operation does not lie with you and I. It lies with the Holy Spirit. You see, where we get it all mixed up is we think it relies on us, on how cool our presentation is, on what kind of tools we use, on how great our music, all those things there. We, we think sometimes and we begin to fall back on that, but Jesus makes it very clear. You're just the mouthpiece to share what happened in your life, but it is the Holy Spirit that is the power of Operation Witness. That's why Jesus gave a very clear command in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to read it from the message. He says, as they met and ate meals together, he told them, now I like the way he says it, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. In other words, Jesus said, do not leave, do not begin the operation until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, I want to consider just a few little things about the Holy Spirit. We won't spend a lot of time because I know you're 
you're probably very aware of these, but may I remind you, first of all, that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. This is not Star Wars. May the force be with you. Because when you hear the word force, you think of an it. You think of an inanimate object, a something. You ever watch Star Wars, you've never seen the force because it's something inanimate. Which, by the way, it comes from Taoism, which is an Eastern religion of good and evil. But the person of the Holy Spirit, he is a person. He's fully God, but he is a person. We read in Scripture, he's described as a he, not as an it. And in the Greek, they had he, she, and its. If he would have been a force, he would have been an it. He is a person. But then second of all, I want you just to real quickly to consider the promise of the Holy Spirit. There's two promises found in our text as we see it today. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he speaks of the promise of the Holy Spirit's baptism. Now, we know there's some confusion around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are those uh, primarily in the Pentecostal persuasion that would say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace that takes place after salvation when indeed Jesus is not talking about a second experience, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Wayne Grudem says this, baptism in the Holy Spirit therefore must refer to the activity of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the Christian life when he gives us new spiritual life, that's regeneration, cleanses us, gives us a clear break with the power and love of sin, in this way, the baptism in the Holy Spirit refers to all that the Holy Spirit does at the beginning of the Christian life. In other words, what, what he's saying there and what the Scripture is saying is that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, in that very moment that you receive Jesus Christ, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, write it down, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We were baptized into one body. There's not a second baptism or a second spiritual experience, as they would describe it, where we suddenly receive the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what is Jesus referring to in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 then? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's not talking so much there about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as he is there at that point, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because when we receive the Holy Spirit and are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's then that we have power. It's not a separate experience or work of grace we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We have all, listen to what I'm going to say, we have all the Holy Spirit there is to have. The problem is the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of us he can have. You know what I'm saying? Because we hold back, we resist. And in those areas of our life, we're not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit. So he's promising us that we will be baptized in this spirit and that when we're filled with this spirit, then third of all, we will have the power. Now look back at Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So it says, when they came together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? 
Now, they were thinking about kingdom power. Jesus was thinking about spirit power. They were focused on ruling power, authoritative power, dictatorial power, like a Putin. Jesus was focused on Holy Spirit power. But when you receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And that power is really two-directional. First of all, there is the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. I gave you some passages there, but read about them. It says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with boldness. Now, I know you look at me and you say, man, Pastor Ken, you're bold, you go witness. I want you to understand something, and I mean this in the most truthful way. I am really a very shy, bashful person. I was that way when I was growing up. It was very hard for me to talk with other people. It was easier, really, for me to talk to older people than it was my own peers. I, I'm kind of a loner. You know, I was the guy that I, I was content with being over here by myself. And so it's very difficult for me to really to do this thing called witnessing. And so I would say to you today, it's not because of me, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. He emboldens us and he leads us to the lost. Acts chapter 8 is a great story of Philip out in the having a great revival. And the Holy Spirit lifts him up and takes him to a place where he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch. That is, the Holy Spirit gets us to the people that we need to be speaking to, particularly if we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. God will, God's Spirit will, as you wait upon him, get you to the right people this week that he needs you to be speaking to and giving a witness to. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But then there's the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the unbeliever. That when you're giving your witness, ladies and gentlemen, in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is not, again, your cunning tongue, it is not your persuasive argument, it is that the Holy Spirit is doing something deeper inside of that person's heart, and he's convicting them, as John says in John chapter 16, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, and the interesting thing is that when you're witnessing to that person, they may or may not be hearing what you're really saying because the Spirit may be speaking to them in a different way. I've told the story many times, and I may have told it here, and if I did, you can drift off asleep and wake back up at the part that you remember. But when I was in college, I witnessed to, or I was a college pastor, I witnessed to a young man named David. And David was there. He was in the room. I was really witnessing to a guy in the room. He happened to be there. And uh, he was listening in. He was asking questions. He seemed to really be engaged, uh, talking about the blood of Christ and the, that Christ shed his blood. And I was going, wow, this guy's really in tune. Later on, I got a call from him where he let me know in quite colorful, profane language what he thought of me because I found out he was a Jew. Several months later, if not a year later, I got a call from him. But this time, not in profane language, but in language of Zion. And he shared with me, he said, Kent, you know, remember we had that car? Yeah, I remember that conversation. He said, there was something you said. I don't even remember what it was. He said, but you said that we all have sinned 
and we can't get right with God on our own. He said, I could not get that out of my mind. Boy, wasn't I good? No. The Holy, yeah, the Holy Spirit, baby. Boy, yeah, it's just like in uh, Austin Powers. Yay, baby. Yeah, it was the Holy Spirit. And, and what that does for us, ladies, and I want to say this to us all today, when we put the pressure on ourselves that I've got to win this person to Jesus, none of us are going to be a witness. Because we all feel inadequate. But my friends, when you realize all you have to do is share the message and then let the Holy Spirit do His work, then you're, the pressure's off of you. The job is really the Holy Spirit. Amen? We're just sharing the message and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're just releasing the Holy Spirit to do His work. So our commander-in-chief has laid out for us the plan for operation. You'll be my witnesses. The power for the operation. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he, third of all, gives the parameters. Just like we're discussing today. How far is Putin going to go? Is he trying to reinvigorate the whole Soviet Union and drop the Iron Curtain again. What, what is his goal? They asked that of Hitler when Germany was moving out. What is the scope of the operation? So it's a fair question for us to ask this morning of our commander-in-chief. What's the parameter of this operation? And he gives it to us. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, we are going to the city, that's Jerusalem. You go to the next slide for me there. We're going to the region, that's Samaria. We're going to the country, Judea, and we're going everywhere else, the whole world. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, well, you know, we don't want to go outside of Israel. You know, Israel's kind of a special place. And we just go, and really, Jerusalem is just our, our nice little comfortable place that we would like to be. No, he says, we're going to all these places. So, how did they do? Well, we don't have clear documentations of the apostles, but Peter went to Jerusalem and Rome, Andrew went to southern Greece, Ukraine, and southern Russia. James went to Jerusalem, John went to Jerusalem, Ephesus, western Turkey, and Asia Minor. Philip went to west central Turkey. Bartholomew went to eastern Turkey, northern Iraq, northwestern Iran, and India. Thomas went to Iran, Iraq, and India. Matthew to Judea, Ethiopia, and Iran. James, the son of Alphaeus, to Palestine and Egypt. Jude went to eastern Iraq and Iran. Simon the Zealot went to Egypt. And Matthias, who replaced Judas, he went to Ethiopia. Now, if you map that out, ladies and gentlemen, that hit every single one of the parameters that Jesus gave. And they didn't have the internet. Hello? They didn't have jet planes. Hello? They didn't have sports cars and church buses. They didn't have printing presses. They didn't even have bicycles. 
our motorcycles, our mopeds, or anything else, but they manage somehow or another to take the gospel of the whole world. Well, what about the early church? Well, look over at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Look over there if you would. Acts chapter 8. So Paul is on his rampage, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And look what it says. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea Judea and Samaria. Now look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So how did the apostles do? They did a good job. How did the early church do? They did a really good job. Now, granted, the Lord had to drop a nuclear bomb in Jerusalem to get them to go. Sometimes I think he needs to do that in our churches today, amen? Amen. To get us out of the comfort of our buildings. And that time may come. But the important question is not how did they do. The most important question is how will we do in continuing the operation. And then finally, I want you to see as we close out the period of Operation Witness. How long is this thing going to last? How long is this war going to last in Russia? We always ask that even before we commit our troops. One of the things we ask, how long are we going to have boots on ground? How long are we going to be in this operation? Well, again, how long is this operation going to last? Well, look at verse 9 back in Acts chapter 1 where we were just a moment ago. And when he said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing to heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Go do your business. We come to church like this, and man, we have a great service. Man, God is here. God is moving. God is meeting us. The the emotions are high. The hands are raised up. It's an awesome experience. Lord, can we not just stay here? And the Lord says to us, it's time for you to leave. Doesn't necessarily have to be 12 o'clock, but you need to leave. So how long will Operation Witness last? Well, look at that last part of verse 4. It says, this Jesus, who you saw taken up in heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. How long is Operation Witness going to last? Until Jesus comes. Hello? Until Jesus comes. Amen. Now, he's talking about the rapture, right? Nope. Go back to verse 6, which set up this whole conversation. He said, they asked him, Lord, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his authority. That is, you're not going to know that time, but until that time, you are to be engaged in Operation Witness. So what is he saying here? Operation Witness will continue until the second coming when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom here on this earth. 
Read the book of Revelation. Even in the book of Revelation, through the tribulation period, there are the witnesses for Jesus Christ. They're going to be witnessing all the way through the great tribulation, all the way up to the very moment when Jesus splits the Mount of Olives. Remember, that's where he was taken up. That's where he's going to come. He's going to split it. He's going to set up his kingdom. And when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, we can lay down Operation Witness. So I have a question for you this morning. Has Jesus come? I hope not. Don't you? Because if he has, we're still sitting here. So Operation Witness is still in force. So let's review the four key questions. Has our commander-in-chief given us the plan for Operation Witness? Check. You will be my witnesses. Has our commander-in-chief given us the power for Operation Witness? Check. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Has our commander-in-chief given us the parameter for Operation Witness? Check. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Your city, your state, your country, the world. Has our commander-in-chief given us the period for Operation Witness? Check until he comes again. It's all very clear. I don't see how he could have made it any more clear to you. He has given it to us, so now it's time for First Baptist Church Groveport to implement Operation Witness. And let's take it down a notch level, notch down one more level, and put skin in the game. It's time for you and for me to implement Operation Witness. It's time for you and me to put on our tactical gear and go to the front lines. You're the only one that said amen. Amen? It's in our hands. Could the Holy Spirit do a megaphone announcement throughout the world that Jesus said? Sure he could. But I want you to know something. Listen to me, folks, as I close. God has no plan B for Groveport. God has no plan B for Franklin County or Ohio. God has no plan B for the United States, and God has no plan B for the world. It is us being witnesses. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, as we have